All right. Well, we come to the end of our sermon series in Romans. Uh, the last two sermons, this week and next. Now, of course, you may remember that we actually got to the end of Paul's letter to the church at Rome a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully you remember the way that he concluded that letter. Uh, because he concluded it in a, in a unique way. In fact, in a very profound way. Uh, Paul ended his letter with a doxology, uh, an expression of praise to God. Uh, the very end of Romans 16. And I, and I bring that up because it's important. And why? Why is it important that Paul would end this great letter so full of such rich, robust theology? Why end it with this expression of praise? Well, it's because Paul does not view good doctrine as an end in itself. Good doctrine is never an end in itself. Rather, the end of doctrine is praise of God. Uh, praise of God, not only with our lips, but also with our lives. In other words, all theology should always lead to doxology. The gospel leads to worship. And so we're going to wrap up our Roman series with some, some gospel highlights from Paul's letter. Uh, and that's so that we can keep before us that which Paul says elsewhere, that which is of first importance. That which is of first importance being the gospel itself. And so we're going to hear again uh, Paul's uh, declaration of praise at the end of Romans 16, and then we're going to use those few verses as a springboard to go back into the very heart of Romans and to hear uh, the good news. Uh, but before we hear God's word, let's take a moment now to pray. Our gracious God, uh, as we come together this morning, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your glorious gospel of salvation, uh, the gospel of grace. And we pray once again that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that the power and majesty of this good news in Jesus, that it would continue to take deep root. And so we pray, speak to us now by the power of your spirit through your word. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so Romans chapter 16, again, these are verses 25 through 27. Hear the word of God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen. And this is God's word. Well, again, Paul ends his letter with praise to God. Praise for the, the beauty, the power, the majesty of the gospel. 
In these few verses, we see that it is the gospel of God's salvation. The mystery of old, now revealed to us in Jesus. And how? Well, through the prophetic word, the prophetic writings, God's word, and at the very command of God himself. And why? Well, so that all nations might be brought to the obedience of faith. So that all peoples including you and me, that we might see, hear, and believe and live out the gospel of God's grace. And so as we review the gospel in Romans, uh, what we're going to do is consider three key theological terms. If you've been with us, they're not going to be new to you, uh, but three facets or gospel themes of God's salvation. Uh, Justification. Adoption and sanctification. Uh, these are what theologians call, they're, they're part of the, the ordu salutis, which is really just a Latin phrase meaning the order of salvation. And there's much more in it, but we see these and hear about these most often justification, adoption, and sanctification. And so the gist is this justification. Forgiven of sin and accepted by God. Adoption. Brought into God's family as His beloved child. And sanctification. Increasingly made to be like Jesus. Forgiven of sin and accepted by God. Brought into His family as his beloved child, and increasingly made to be like Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the first two of those gospel themes, what we might call definitive grace, decisive grace, justification and adoption. And then next week we'll take a look at the third one, uh, sanctification, uh, what we might call ongoing grace. And so today we begin with justification. Again, the basic gist, forgiven of sin and accepted by God. Now, Romans 3 to 5 speak very clearly to justification, so I want to read some verses uh, to us uh, from chapter 3. Now, these are verses 21 to 25. And Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. Okay, so here, obviously, we see the problem, the bad news. We hear that all have sinned. And elsewhere, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And he also emphasizes that there is no one righteous, not even one. In fact, he emphasizes it so much, he says, that not a single person even seeks God on his own. In and of him or herself doesn't even seek God. In other words, we're all on the Titanic. 
We're all on the same sinking boat. We've all run from God. We've all rebelled. And thus we all need rescue. And so thankfully, we also can hear the good news in this passage. We can hear the good news about that rescue. The good news of salvation. That the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law. And just even that statement in itself is such great news because we're horrible law keepers. Each and every one of us breaks God's law every single day. We hear, too, that, that we receive this righteousness through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified by God's grace is a gift. A gift through the death of Jesus in our place. Through the cross of Christ. So some of you are familiar with our church's statement of faith. Part of it uh, we have summarized in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And in there it states this. Justification is the definitive act of God's free grace by which he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. He does so only because he counts the righteousness of Christ as ours. Justification is received by faith alone. Friends, we are now made just in Christ. That means there is now no record against us. No record against you. And as I was thinking about justification this this past week, and in particular as I was thinking about this pardon of sin and and no record, I I was reminded of a time that this came home for me uh, very personally, uh, very powerfully, Uh, It was August of 1998. I was serving as a campus minister with InterVarsity down at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, School was was just about to to start, and so we were having a lot of of campus ministry events. This one in particular uh, was 5 p.m. on a Friday afternoon on Polk Place, and I was running behind. The only way that I would make it to this event on time was to park at the closest parking lot possible. Now, there are two issues that would come up with that. One is probably there wouldn't be any spots available. But two, I didn't have a permit to park in that particular parking lot. Now, it did open to the general public at 5 o'clock. It was 4.50. And I pulled in, and there was a spot. It was up close. So I pulled in, I ran to the event, made it on time, had a wonderful event, and everything was great until I got back to my car. On the windshield was this, (laughs) a traffic violation, a citation, a parking ticket. I pulled in at 4.50, the time stamp is 4.52, August 17th, 1998. So... I knew. I I, I was guilty. I was wrong. It says I had 10 days to pay the fine. So the next week, I went down to the UNC uh, Campus Police Department, looked at all the signage, saw where to pay the fines. I walked in, sheepishly looked at the officer, put this in front of her, pulled out my checkbook. And she said, young man, what are you doing? And I said, well, well, I'm here to pay my, my parking ticket. Well, don't you want to appeal 
And I said, well, ma'am, I, I, I don't know on what basis. I, are you going to argue with me? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You take this ticket and you go down the hall and there's another desk. You see that desk with that other officer? Take it down and appeal your ticket. Okay, so I walk down the hall. Sure enough, another officer. Ma'am, here. And she said, are you here to appeal your parking violation? I said, I, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> and she said, why? I said, well, I'm, I'm guilty of this. She looked at it. She looked at me. She looked back down. And she circled no charge. She handed it to me and said, consider yourself pardoned. I was shocked. I, I walked out of that campus police department, and I thought to myself, man, one day I'm going to have a great sermon illustration. <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I walked out and I thought, what just happened? I was clearly guilty, and I knew it. And yet, by an act of grace, I had been pardoned. And if you were to go down to the UNC campus police department today and they were to pull up my name under parking violations, it would say no record. And that is the good news for us in Christ that there is now no record against you at all. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the words of another pastor, Justification means that we are forever wrapped in the everlasting righteousness of Christ. There is now no record against you. His perfect record is now your perfect record. And that's the good news of justification. But I want to ask you this. Why does it matter? And I'm not talking about eternally. I'm sure we could all answer that. But, but why does it matter? How does it matter for us in a, a practical day-to-day -day kind of way? Well, it matters because we all struggle to believe this, to live within this gospel reality. And when you're not resting in the truth and grace of justification, you will continually seek to justify yourself. When we aren't resting in our justification, we're often very quickly defensive, dismissive of others. We might not do that outwardly, but we'll, we'll very much do it internally. When we aren't resting in our, our justification, we, we often resort to, to bragging and boasting, even in subtle ways. But nonetheless, in, in, in ways that uh, that communicate an air of, of superiority, self-importance. Maybe you resort to, to self-promotion, name-dropping, resume-giving. Here's who I am, who I know, what I've done. And friends, it's all just an attempt to convince ourselves and others that we're okay that we're right, that we matter. And you know, we can do this so easily without even thinking. I mean, it can become second nature. Again, we all struggle with this. 
And when we aren't resting in our justification, we constantly seek to justify ourselves. Now, personally, I have I found helpful uh, this prayer from St. Augustine. Father, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Deliver me. Rescue me from this lust of always vindicating myself. And, you know, I actually pray that prayer pretty much every day now. And why? Because I need it every day. Because I struggle to live within this reality every single day. As Ken Sandy has said, when I remember God's kindness and that he himself has already vindicated me in Christ, it's so much easier to step toward others with courage and compassion And also to listen to criticism from others. To face the truth about my own sin and failures. And to ask God to use the sting of human correction to show me how he's calling me to change and grow. Brothers and sisters, you are just. You are righteous in Christ You are forgiven of sin and accepted as righteous in the sight of God. There is nothing to add, nothing more to do, nothing to prove. And friends, that is good news. Very good news. Okay, so let's move on to some more good news. From justification to adoption. Adoption, again, the basic gist, brought into God's family as his beloved child. Now, Romans 8, in particular, uh, speaks very clearly uh, to adoption. So, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. In chapter 8, Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's what we have been given. We have been given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry to God, Abba, Father. Uh, Here again from our our, uh, catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Statement of Faith on Adoption. Adoption is the definitive act of God's free grace by which we become his sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges of being his children. You see, whereas justification is a judicial act, adoption is a relational one. Okay, so so think back for a moment to that traffic officer down the hall, the one that pardoned me. Okay, she did not care about me personally. I'm not saying that she wasn't caring. 
In fact, I greatly appreciate the act of care that she displayed that day. But what I'm saying is that that day she merely pardoned me for something that I had done wrong. Merely pardoned me. But she didn't invite me in to relationship with her. She didn't come around from behind the desk, put her arm around me, and say, you're coming home with me. Might have been a little weird, and glad that didn't happen. But my my point is, is this. She didn't invite me into relationship, and I wasn't looking for that. There is no ongoing relationship with her. I'm sure she doesn't remember who I am. I don't remember who she is. But it's not like that with God. It's not like that with God. God doesn't merely pardon us to then leave us on our own. He pardons us precisely so that he can bring us in, into relationship with him. Adoption is about being embraced and brought in to God's family, not just as a child, but as a beloved child. And so joined to Christ through faith, you are now free as a child of God to enjoy a loving relationship with the Father. Some of you probably know the name Brian Chapel. Uh, Brian Chapel is, is an older PCA pastor. Uh, he served as the, the president of Covenant Theological Seminary for a while. Uh, currently, he's the, the acting stated clerk for our entire denomination. And Dr. Chapel and his wife have a, a small statue near their front door. Uh, it's a, a statue of a Middle Eastern father. Uh, he's wearing a, a robe and a turban. And, and he's down on his knees, and, and he's holding a, a small child above his head. And, and the child has a big smile on his face with his arms outstretched. He's airplaning. Okay, arms are outstretched, head is up. And Dr. Chapel says this about that statue. What makes this statue so special to us is the look of rapturous joy on the faces of the father and the child. The child delights in the father's care, and the father rejoices in the gladness of his child. It reminds us of God's love for us. The God who rejoices over us. Derek Moore Crispin writes, The mere servant, with hat in hand, stands at a respectful distance awaiting the orders of his master. But the child, the child of God, rushes into the presence of his father, leaps into his lap, and rests in his care. It's the joy of belonging. J.I. Packer points out that we dare not talk about justification without also talking about adoption. And he refers to adoption as the crown jewel of the gospel. He refers to it, and he writes, that it is the crowning blessing to which justification clears the way. Adoption is the bestowal of a relationship and permanent intimacy with God. And that's the good news of adoption. 
But why? Why does this matter? How does it matter for us in the everyday practical kind of way? Well, it matters because we all struggle to to live within and to live out this gospel reality too. And when you're not resting in the truth and grace of adoption, then you'll constantly live as if you're a forgotten orphan rather than living as a beloved son or daughter. Now, you may intellectually know God, but you'll struggle to really know him relationally. Or to use Packer's phrase, you'll struggle to know true intimacy with God as your father. And yet that's what God cleared the way for. And the thing is, when we aren't resting in our adoption, we struggle in our relationships with others too. You know, if you think about it, if deep down in our own hearts we are struggling to believe the most important relationship that anyone can have, we're we're struggling to believe in God's love and affection for us, then not only is is that going to play out with us keeping a, a bit of a distance from God, but also keeping a bit of a distance from others. Now, I I do realize that for some of you, this may be a particularly hard topic. For some of you, whenever we talk about God as Father, you may cringe. Uh, Cringe because it's your earthly father has been uh, distant, absent, even worse, harsh, abusive. And understandably, you you may say, it's too difficult for me to think of of God as, as a father. And especially as a loving father. I mean, I I don't know what a good father is like. And so I I appreciate these words from Paul Miller. And and I hope that they might bring some helpful perspective uh, to you. He writes, The fact that we know our earthly father is flawed means that we know what a good father should be like. Because we are created in the image of the triune God, we have an instinctive knowledge of how a father should love. And as we look to, as we look to and get to know our perfect heavenly father, we can become more convinced that we are truly loved and accepted. Victor Hugo famously said, Life's greatest happiness is to be convinced that we are loved. And our Heavenly Father wants to convince us of that love. Friends, God deeply loves you. And not only does He deeply love you, He also takes delight in you. For as the psalmist said, He rescued me Because He delights in me. It's the joy of belonging. In adoption, we are given that gift, the gift of belonging. We are brought into God's family as His beloved child. So that's just a brief review. A brief review of justification and adoption. Uh, Next week, we'll take a look at its sanctification, about how we grow in this more and more, how we we work it out in our lives. 
How we grow in, in, in resting more fully in these gifts of grace. And for now, remember that these gospel realities, no matter how much we struggle with them, they are true and they are ours in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Father, Heavenly Father, we again, we thank you for your glorious gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace, for making it known to us. And oh, we pray, we pray that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts, continue to convince our hearts of that which is true in you. Continue to convince us of the power and the majesty of this good news, rooting it deeper and deeper within us. For we believe, but help our unbelief. Amen.